0: so for the last time, at least for a while, turn to the Gospel of John. This for me is kind of like waving goodbye to an old friend, or a good friend, someone you spent a lot of time with, a good companion. And uh, our journey through John has been a blessing to me. I hope it has been a help to you, but you know we haven't even begun to mind the depths of it. So we're in John chapter 21, I'm going to begin reading in verse 18, and then read to the end of the chapter, the end of the book. This is where Jesus has just led Peter to confess his love for him three times. He's, he's led Peter to see that he is called as a shepherd to feed, to tend, to shepherd his sheep, and then immediately after that confession, and after that Calling Verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. He was talking about Peter's martyrdom. After saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. But Jesus didn't say that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written down. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So ends the reading of God's Word. So ends the Gospel of John. Lord, open our eyes now. Teach us and instruct us through this, Your perfect Word, the things that we need to see, hear, and understand, and then apply into our lives that we might know and follow Jesus. We ask this in His name. Amen. So this is John's finale. This is how he ends his Gospel account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And of all the Gospels, this is the one I find most interesting because John doesn't end as the others do with the ascension of Christ, but with this odd conversation between Jesus and Peter with John himself listening in. And so you just have to ask yourself... Why? What's the point? What does John, the Spirit-inspired author, want us to take away from this scene as we close this book? And I think it has to do with the command Jesus repeats to Peter twice in this passage. In fact, this is the final command that Jesus will give in John's Gospel. It is at the end of verse 19, and then again you see it, In verse 22, verse 19, uh, he looks at Peter and says, follow me. And then again, at the end of verse 22, he says to Peter, you follow me. The very heart of the Christian life and of discipleship, there is this command, Christian, above all, follow Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is Jesus' statement to that effect. He says, If anyone would come after me, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be one who belongs to me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's the note that John wants to leave ringing in our ears as we close this gospel. So that's what we want to look at. Uh, The first thing then to have in our minds is that a disciple of Christ has one central calling. And that calling is to follow Jesus. Hear it again. Verse 19, Follow me, Peter. That's the one thing that you must have on your mind. Verse 22, Peter, you follow me. Follow me. The end of the day, for you and me as believers, that's the thing that matters. And so think about... This scene and what it is that brought about this conversation between Peter and Jesus. Remember, as we've just seen, Jesus has just informed Peter back in verse 18 that He is going to die a martyr's death. Basically, He says to him, Peter, the time is coming because of your faithfulness to Me, because you are following Me, that someone is going to lead you to the place of execution, stretch out your hands on a cross, that's what this means, and you will die. In case we didn't pick up on that, verse 19 makes it explicit. This was said to show by what kind of death Peter is going to glorify God. So you're standing there in Peter's sandals. That's that's distressing news. Uh, Peter's faithfulness to Christ will cost him his life, and yet he must follow anyway. And so with those words ringing in his ears, Peter then turns around and sees his friend John, the beloved disciple. By the way, what is John doing when Peter sees him? Do you see it verse 20? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved doing what? Following Him. John is following. John is doing the very thing that Peter has just been commanded by Jesus to do. And and listen, we're meant to see that as we're reading here. John is following, and so notice how John is even introduced into this scene it 's not by name it didn't say it was John it said it was the beloved disciple. you remember one of the one of the unique features of john 's gospel is that John himself never shows up by name, not even once his identity is largely hidden within the story throughout this gospel, and we 'll see why that is again in just a minute, but John is introduced to us in this scene um, through a flashback. Uh, Verse 20, you see it, right? Uh, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John is usually uh, identified. Following them, who is he? He's the one who had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Well, that's a flashback to the night Christ was betrayed, John 13, 21-25. It's just probably a page away. Let's look at it. Just remind ourselves of that scene. So John uh, chapter 13, a couple pages probably. John 13, beginning in verse 21. In the upper room that night, it says, After saying these things, all that He had been teaching, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, okay, so that's going to be John, was reclining at table at Jesus' side, and Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus uh, to whom of whom was he speaking. John, ask him who he means. And so that disciple, John, leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? So that's the scene. Now, question: Why that scene? Why remind us of that particular event? Well, it's because this scene in the upper room reminds us two things that John wants us to have in mind. First, it reminds us of John's close personal relationship to Jesus. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is amazed by that. But uh, John is not, then, a disciple on the periphery of things. Someone we barely even hear about. John is there at the center of things. John's goal throughout this gospel, every time we see him, has been to get as close to Jesus as he possibly can. And so in many ways, Throughout this Gospel, John is presented to us as the ideal disciple, always following, always pressing close to Jesus. But second, this scene reminds us of John's close friendship with Peter. In scene after scene, we find these two together. Together at the empty tomb, together in other places, and the same thing in the other Gospels, Peter, James sometimes, and John. And so though they're very different men, Peter and John... They are men who share a common passion passion, and that is to, to know and walk with Jesus. And so when Peter turns back and sees John follow him, he says, Lord, what about him? What about our good friend John? Now I think that's a rather natural question, isn't it? What about him? But in light of what Jesus just commanded Peter to do, it is the wrong question. And so Jesus rebukes him. Verse 22, He says, If it's My will that He remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow Me. Peter, it's frankly none of your business what I'm going to do with Him. Your business is to follow Me. Now there's some irony here and I want to make sure that you see it. So what is it Jesus has just commanded Peter to do? Follow Him. What does that mean? Well, to follow anyone, you have to keep your eyes on them, right? You ever try to follow someone through the woods or follow them through a busy airport? You've got you to keep your eyes on them to follow them. You go where they go. You do what they do. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And yet, as soon as Peter hears the command, follow me, what does he do? He turns around and fixes his eyes on John behind them. <laughs> Anybody else here in this room struggle with that? Oh, you know you should be following Jesus. You know you should have your eyes fixed on Him. But for some reason, you keep fixing your eyes on other people around you instead. And you keep getting distracted. Well, Lord, what about Him? What about her? And we begin to make these comparisons. Lord, you're not making them go through what you've made me face. Why not? Why have, why have they got it so easy? Why aren't they facing the struggles? Why aren't they receiving the kind of news that I'm receiving? Lord, if it's going to cost me this much to follow you, what about Sally? What about Jim? What about Dave? And Jesus says, it's none of your business what I'm going to do with them. Let me take care of that. I'm the Lord. Here's your job. You follow me. There's a real danger in the Christian life of giving into this kind of distraction where, where you shift your focus away from Jesus and on to others around you and what they're doing, or maybe what they're not doing, as the case may be. You know, maybe there's some Christian you've had your eyes on who's, who's disappointed you, who's who's lived in a way that is not Christ-like, and it's frustrated you, and you want to give up because well, they're not following you, or maybe things go easy and blessed for them, and you think, my goodness, boy, that's what must be what it means to be a Christian. They've got it all together, but me, I'm struggling with all this. And, and again, your eyes are fixed on them. I'm not saying that we should not have a regard for one another in Christ. Of course we should, or that we shouldn't be aware of one another. Of course we must. I mean we need each other. We we are the church. We we help each other follow Jesus. But never in a way of comparison that leads us to lose sight of Christ himself or forget that it really is about him, not them. Uh, Pastor Richard Phillips in his commentary says there is nothing wrong with a gracious interest in the Lord's will for others, but Peter was taking his eyes off Jesus and concerning himself with the affairs of another believer. Um, Matthew Henry likewise said this as a warning he said, We are so apt to be busy with other men's matters, but negligent in the concerns of our own souls, quick sighted abroad, but dim sighted at home judging others and trying to figure out what they will do when we have more than enough to do to accomplish our own work and to understand our own way. Is that you? You're distracting yourself by looking at others around you? friend? stop. Stop comparing yourself to others and just follow Jesus. Uh, the words here, in fact, are Emphatic. Uh, you should bold underline the "you" here because the way it's put, it put it's like putting highlights on it. You follow me, Peter. Don't worry about him; I've got him. You see to it that you are following me. So discipleship here is pictured as a single-minded pursuit of Christ, eyes fixed on him, heart in rhythm with his. One goal, one passion that I might be like. Jesus. That I might go where He sends and do what He commands. That That is the commission of a disciple. Friend, that is your commission. That is your calling. You must follow Christ with a single minded devotion so that He is the whole horizon toward which you are running. Are you doing that? Are you following Christ? Young people, Are you following Christ? Or are your eyes fixed on so-called influencers and friends and others to the point that you're really following them or being led by them or influenced by them more than you are Christ? Older people, are you following Christ? Are your eyes fixed on Him or are they instead... Glued to how much better somebody else has it than you. Or glued to that retirement that you're hoping that you can pad as you're going along. Singles. Are they glued to that person you wish you could have in a relationship? Or are they glued to Christ so that above all you want Him? Married people. Children. Are you following Christ? Uh, there's a song that some of us Reform folks don't like too much because it's been abused You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. And sometimes you hear it used rather manipulatively, but listen, don't throw that song out too quickly. Especially that third line, do you remember it? Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Is that your determination? That's the calling of a disciple. And so Jesus says, Peter, it's not about John. It's about me. You follow me. Which brings us to this second thing. That means we can't allow ourselves to be distracted by non-crucial things. Non-crucial issues. I say non-crucial because the word crucial comes from the Latin word crux, which is just cross. And really, uh, crucial means cross-shaped. Just as our lives must be shaped by the cross of Christ. Again, Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after Me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That's the defining thing. And follow Me. So, So anytime the focus of our lives takes us away from the cross, whatever it is that we are refocusing on, that is the distraction from our central calling to know and follow Jesus. To follow Him as husbands and wives and children and singles and parents. We follow Him. And so... Any obsession or any pursuit that turns your eyes away from Christ to pursue something or someone else instead of Christ, that's non-crucial. It is moving away from the heart of the matter which is knowing and loving and serving Him. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have other pursuits or interests outside of overtly Christian or religious things. I'm not saying that at all. It's, it's okay to pursue baseball as a pastime. It's okay to pursue pickleball. My wife's not here to say amen, uh, but Aaron can say it for her. It's okay to enjoy and pursue the arts. It's okay to like hunting and fishing and to enjoy working with your hands. We're, we're called to do all of those things, but we do them as following Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all for the glory of God. And so again, that's what Peter is being rebuked for. He's not rebuked because he cares what happens to John. He's rebuked because he's distracted by his concern for John in a way that takes his eyes off of Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, again, verse 22, "...if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me." Now, Pay attention to that phrase, if it is My will. Because there's something really important here that we need to see. Again, following Jesus means what? Well, it means keeping our eyes on Him. It means being yielded to His will rather than our will, right? Not My will, as He prays, but Thy will be done. Another old hymn says, wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll follow the Christ who loves me so, wherever He leads, I'll go. That's the heart of following Jesus. Eyes fixed on Him, going where He leads as He leads. But notice, notice again what Jesus is saying to Peter here. Peter... My will for you as you follow me is this, it will end in martyrdom. It will lead to your excruciating death. That's how you're going to glorify me. But if my will for John leads to a long earthly life of service to me and not martyrdom, is that okay with you? Look around this room here this morning. Understand that faithfully following Jesus will lead to different ways of glorifying Him in each of our lives. Different earthly paths. Different um, situational outcomes. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to leave that outcome in the hands of a good and sovereign God? Knowing that some like Peter, the path of faithfulness for them will lead to suffering and early death. For others, like John, the way of following Jesus will lead to suffering and long life. By the way, notice both are going to have suffering. But they'll have different kinds of suffering. And the suffering of one will seem much more intense and tragic than the suffering of another. But don't distract yourself trying to figure out somebody else's path in the hands of a sovereign and good God... Just rejoice that they are on the path Christ has assigned them to God glorifying faithfulness and you faithfully serve Him in that path He has placed you on as Lord, knowing that He has chosen to glorify Himself through that. But then notice verse 23. There's another distraction to be avoided here. Verse 23. So so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, wasn't going to die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you, Peter? Do you see the distraction here? I'm going to call this the distraction of a half-read verse or the distraction of a misplaced focus on speculative theology. That's a mouthful. But look what happens. Jesus said to Peter, verse 22, What if I want John to remain until I return? What's that to you? Meaning, I can do what I want with John. He's my servant. You just follow me. But when that statement Jesus made gets out to the rest of the church, the speculative engine starts running. And they pull that part about John remaining till Jesus comes out from the rest. They rip it out of context and just go nuts. Oh, looky, looky. John's going to remain till Jesus returns. Wait a minute. Does that mean Jesus just gave us a clue when he's coming back? Can we figure this out now? And they end up. Building a whole eschatology on half-read, misapplied verses about John remaining till Jesus comes. There's even a sect in Eastern Orthodoxy that still thinks John's alive somewhere based on this verse. We laugh at that, but people still do this kind of thing today, don't they? They end up building whole systems around a half Read verse that intrigues them, and they, they give themselves to speculating about this possibility or that particular theory that they've come up with because they're going to figure it out. And so they run off to this conference and, and, and to that event, and they get caught up in the latest bestseller by someone claiming they've got an in route to how it's really all going to play. You've seen the books, they come every five years. Now listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to understand biblical eschatology. Of course we do, because after all, Jesus is coming back. Amen? But when that kind of speculation becomes the focus of your attention, you know, end times or whatever... And you want to figure this out and you need to be in on the secret information that other people have missed because that's what really matters to you so that rather than following Jesus daily in your marriage and friendships and at home and at work, serving Him faithfully, serving your neighbors, if your Christianity is all about theological speculation rather than knowing and following Jesus, my friend, you have missed the whole point. You've missed it. You let yourself be distracted from Christ by a non-crucial issue. And I'll just say this, repent of that. Turn away from that. If you just, oh, all the gee whiz stuff, that's got your attention. Your Christianity is all about the gee whiz on the margins. I've got a relative who does this. You know, this is what it's all about. This is the thing. This is what I want to know. And you miss the whole point, which is Christ. Notice how quickly John sets the record straight in verse 23. He says, That's not what Jesus said. What he said was, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, John says, Wait a minute, you've got to read all the words, not just the ones that intrigue you. You can't half read a verse because you're focusing on the G whiz part or the ooh, what's that mean part? Every word of Scripture matters. Sentences and paragraphs linked together, reading the whole thing in context without speculation. That's biblical sanity. And amazingly, it always brings us back to Jesus. And so yes, Scripture is infallible. But your speculation about Scripture is not. So strive to read Scripture for what it says, knowing that all that it says is going to point you to following Jesus. A big part of maturing as a disciple comes in having the patience to listen and understand what Jesus actually did say as opposed to what He didn't say. Because you want your faith to be built on the actual words of Jesus, not someone's speculation about them. Which brings us into the last thing in John And that is we really can rely on the faithful eyewitness testimony of John about Jesus. In fact, the faithful testimony we find throughout Scripture. Look at verse 24. This, that beloved disciple standing there behind Jesus and John, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. So finally... After 21 chapters, John identifies himself for us here. Finally, he tells us, Hey, it's me. I'm the beloved disciple. I'm the one who's written all this. Because up to now, remember, out of humility and a desire not to put the focus on himself, remember, John's the last living disciple. Everybody in Christendom is interested in John because John's the last guy standing from that original group. And John doesn't want the attention on him. He wants the attention on Jesus. And so he has largely hidden himself in the shadows of the story in order to keep the focus squarely on Jesus. Here, at the end, he steps out into the light and says, Okay, it is me. Now why? Why does He do that now? He does it now at the end to assure us as we read that this really is a faithful eyewitness account written by someone who was there. Notice what John tells us here in verse 24. Three things to confirm the faithfulness of this account. First, he tells us that he, the author, is an eyewitness account to the things that Jesus actually said and did. Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. Bearing witness. Maturos. Eyewitness. So so the point is, these are not made up stories that John picked up in a bar somewhere outside of Corinth. At each and every point, John himself was there. He was there when Jesus turned the water into wine. He was there when Jesus healed the lame and the blind. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And He was there at the cross when Jesus died. Remember John 19.35, He inserted Himself there a little more subtly. He said, he who, is, he who saw this, the death of Christ on the cross, has borne witness, His testimony is true, and He knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. And above all, he was there at the empty tomb and in the upper room when Jesus showed himself alive. John is our living link to the truthfulness of these claims. He was there. He saw. He touched. He heard with his own ears. He saw with his own eyes the things that Jesus said and did. He'll give testimony to that when he writes 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, when he says, "...that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, Jesus, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." John was there. He was an eyewitness. Second, John tells us that he himself is the one who wrote this witness down for us in this Gospel. Verse 24 continues, he says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And so... It's not just a matter that John was an eyewitness, but then he passed these stories verbally onto others who wrote them down years later after John was dead. And maybe they mixed in a little bit of myth and fantasy and legend along the way, because after all, they weren't there. This happened much later. No. These are John's very own words. This is John's first-hand account, his personal memories. What we have here in this writing we call the Gospel of John are the very words of John the eyewitness. This is a first-hand account from the Apostle himself. You see, that pretty much rules out the old liberal theory that the legend of Jesus developed slowly after He died and so that people who didn't even know Him wrote down the stories as a mix of some truth but also a lot of legend. No, John himself wrote it. The one who was there. You say, well, you know, how do we know that John got it right? Maybe his memory got fuzzy with old age. Well, Remember, John was promised help. Jesus promised that help in John 14.26 when He said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So John, the eyewitness with the Holy Spirit's help, wrote all this down for us so that we might know we have a gospel we can trust. Third, that means that this account is true and faithful. It tells us the things Jesus actually said and did. Look at the end of verse 24. It says, This is the disciple who has who is bearing witness about these things. He writes that as he's very writing. He's doing it right now. He's bearing witness to these things. And who has written these things down. And we know that his testimony is true. We know. Okay, who's the we? Who's this we that suddenly interjects themselves here? Well, there are two basic possibilities. Three, if you think that John is taking on the royal we, we, meaning myself, knows. But that did not make sense to me. And so first of all the we the we could be we the church alive throughout 2000 years of history we who have received John's testimony and we know by the holy spirit that it's true and and for 2000 years the church has indeed affirmed the truthfulness of John's record so it could mean that we the church or it could be the living confirmation of those with John who knew John and who are verifying the truthfulness of his account. That's the one I think it is. Remember, John was not just an apostle. John, throughout most of his life, was a pastor. Uh, he ended his days serving the church in Ephesus. And I think this is John's church or perhaps even the elders who were serving with John chiming in and saying as John finishes this account, listen, listen, it's all true. We know John. We know who he is. We know what he's done. And we know that he is giving a true account. Uh, there's even an early tradition in the church passed down to us by Clement of, Alexander, uh, Clement of Alexandria. And Clement of Alexandria says, As John got Old. Remember, he's the last living disciple, the last man standing, the last one with a living memory of Jesus in his mind. As John got old, Clement tells us, his fellow elders there in Ephesus began to ask him to please write it all down. I mean, as long as John was alive, uh, they had a living record. You got a question about something Jesus said or did? Go ask John. He's just down the street. But what's going to happen when John dies? And that record of a living apostle is lost. And so John in faithfulness, moved by the Holy Spirit, urged by his fellow elders, sat down and wrote this gospel account and now his friends, standing at his elbow as he puts down his pen, say, we're here to verify that everything John wrote is exactly like he claims. This is a gospel we can trust. Oh, by the way, the other three are too. I don't have time to go into them. Notice, last of all, Though John speaks to us truthfully, he does not tell us everything that could be said. Verse 25, last sentence in John. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. I suppose the world itself... Do you notice the I there? Here for the first time in this gospel, John turns and speaks to us directly in a first person voice. I suppose not even the whole world, and I just imagine him sitting there just before he lays down his pen. Maybe he put his pen down at the end of verse 24 and he picks it up again and he says, There's so much more I could have written. There are so many things Jesus said and did I would love to be able to tell you about. Can you imagine? stories John could tell? I don't know about you. We get to heaven. I'm going to find John. I want to hear some of those stories. But here he says, even if I tried, the world itself could not contain all that could be told. That There aren't enough libraries on the planet to contain the books that could be written about Jesus. I mean, the story is just too vast. His glory is just too bright. The joys that He gives are simply too deep. Uh, His beauty is too expansive to be contained within the cover of any one book or even whole libraries of books. And that means, dear friend, at some point, you've just got to go beyond the reading. Start there. But you've got to move beyond simply reading into the endless expanse of actually knowing Jesus Himself. One author put it this way. I really like this. He says, Following Jesus is eternally immense. Just picture that phrase. Following Jesus is eternally immense. Ours is a massive, glorious calling. If the world could not contain everything there is to say about our Lord, then those who follow Him into glory will take infinite delight in the eternal exploration of all the vast lands of His grace and truth that's what eternity will be for knowing Jesus that's what we have to look forward to as we follow him now and so that's the journey that that we're being invited for some of us to continue for others perhaps the journey you're being invited to begin as we close this gospel of John Oh, there is no greater adventure than the adventure of knowing and following Christ. Amen. And so, we're invited here to the journey of knowing and following Jesus. That's, that, that's the reason John wrote this. Do you remember? I'll close with this back in John 20, verse 30 and 31. Uh, we thought, we thought John was ending the gospel then, before he tacked on chapter 21. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Right? Same thing he says here, verse 31. But, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. That's what comes from knowing and following Jesus by faith. Life in His name. Friend, do you have this life? Do you know Him? Are you following Him? Will you follow Christ? Let's pray. Father, You sent Your Son that we might know Him, and knowing Him might believe so that we follow. Pray that You would stir the heart of each person here to see that You have preserved Your Word for us. You've given us Your truth. You've shown us what is required of us, repentance of sin and a following of Jesus. Would You make us church of Jesus followers would you make us homes filled with Jesus followers would you make us singles and marrieds and children and younger people who are Jesus followers would you make each individual here a follower of Christ uh, who who lives upon your word Jesus who believes everything You've said, every promise You've made, every warning You've given so that the whole of our lives by faith are oriented in the fact that You died on the cross for our sins, rose on the third day for our justification and that You give us life by Your Spirit here and now that leads into eternity as we continue day after day in the joy and grace of following hard after Jesus. Make us a people who by grace follow hard after Jesus. I pray in His name. Amen.